Uh, we are now in part six of Colossians. We've been going through a series of Colossians, uh, going through the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And boys, see you later. Thanks. <laughs> They're pretty good at knowing he's not going to dismiss us. Let's go. <laughs> so we are going through this letter um, somewhat verse by verse and just gleaning a lot from Paul and what he had to say to this church and the believers there who he had not met. Most of them he had not met in person, um, but had received a report from Epaphras, who uh, likely was the one to start that church and bring the gospel to them uh, in the first place. And so we are in part six, and we are getting into chapter two. Uh, We're now down to verse six and seven, so we're going to start there. If you want to turn there, we also are going to have a lot of scriptures on the screen as well. This has been a meaty letter, and there's just so much in this. And I really have thoroughly enjoyed actually going through it in this way. Um, because there's so much that you can dig down into. Um, just, there's just so much meat, and I've, uh, I hope that you're enjoying it as well. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead. Let me, let me pray first, and then we're going to open God's Word. Father, uh, it's such a humbling honor to stand up here and be a mouthpiece for you. And um, it is an honor for all of us to open your word and to look at what you have said and what you have inspired your your followers, your um, apostles to write, not only to your people in that day, but to us. And so, God, we, we open this with um, great, <coughs> not only expectation, but awe and um, it just, a, just a hunger to receive new manna from you. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in and lead us into all truth and that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse uh, 6 and 7, I'll put it up on the screen. We'll go ahead and start there. It says this, Paul writes, Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And by the way, uh, you know, we kind of seem to, if you haven't been here to hear the other parts, we seem to kind of jump in, and, and we are, but you can catch the other um, parts online if you want to catch up. So there's this um, this part here, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting um, to know, and many may not realize, I didn't realize until I started digging into this more, but this is actually the only place in Scripture, in the New Testament, post-Pentecost, okay? So when Pentecost took place, um, so Jesus had already ascended to be with the Father. Pentecost took place with the believers. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them. All the rest of the letters, the epistles, all that we read in Acts, this is the only place where we see this phrase, received Christ Jesus, the Lord, which is interesting because um, this is used 
almost exclusively today to receive Jesus, uh, or many might say to accept Jesus into your heart. Um, and, it, and it's interesting to me that this is really not, it wasn't how they spoke when they were uh, spreading the good news and the gospel uh, to those in, in the Gentile nations and everywhere uh, that they went. And here we have it in this letter to the Colossians, the, the one occurrence of this uh, receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord. So if we actually look at the original language, and so we're looking at the Greek word that Paul uses here, it denotes um, the receiving of a teaching or a tradition, not the receiving of a person, a direct, direct receiving of a person, but of a teaching or a tradition usually given orally uh, a narrative of that teaching or that tradition. And this is a bit of a different word from the word used to describe receiving Jesus himself, as we see, uh, especially uh, in the Gospels, receiving him in the flesh when he was here on earth. So I just wanted to show you these two Greek words um, that are used here for receive Jesus. So that word receive that we translate as receive, um, unfortunately I already see that I've got a slide out of order. Um, actually, let me, let me do this. This is a, an example of where the word uh, receive, as in receiving Jesus himself in the flesh directly, like being able to like literally have him into your home to dine with you. Uh, the word here in this scripture, in John 5.43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not, this is Jesus talking, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you, receive, you will receive him. This is the word that's a direct receiving of the person, and you could use, and it was used, this word to directly receive Jesus at that time when he walked on this earth. But let's look at the word. That word that you saw in John, in the scripture in John, is lambano. So this is, this is not, when you look at this word lambano, this is not Greek. So uh, I don't know, for those of you who, are, who like languages, that is not Greek. What that is is a transliteration, what's called a transliteration. So the Greek are, the Greek uses characters that we don't use, these, the Roman characters that we use. They, they don't use those. They use different characters. So if we were to look at the Greek, you wouldn't be able to uh, even know how to pronounce that. So what translators sometimes do to make it easier for us to speak uh, or say or pronounce the Greek word is they'll take it and they transliterate it, meaning they will take the sound of that word, put it into a uh, our uh, characters where we can actually, we could pronounce it. Now, we probably won't use the right accent and, and things like that, but uh, if you were to say the Greek word, it would sound something like lambano. Okay, so that's, but if you looked at the Greek characters, it looks, and I didn't put that on here, but it looks nothing like this. So just know the Greek is very, um, very different looking than, than that. And so this is the Greek word used in that scripture in John to directly receive a person. So at a point in time when Jesus was here on this earth, he actually, some people had the opportunity to actually receive him. And you will see like in that verse we just read that lambano is used. So going back to that verse, I have come in my father's name and you, this is Jesus talking, and you did not receive me, lambano, you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him, lambano, directly receive that person. Now the other word, the word that we're going to look at that Paul uses here, the Greek word he uses here in, the, in Colossians is paralambano. So this is a derivative and the difference is Paralambano is talking about to receive something that is transmitted through another person, usually by, like I said, 
uh, oral narration. So anyone who is teaching, uh, bringing a teaching to you or a tradition that they're teaching you, they would be, you could receive that from them and it would be appropriate to use this Greek word, paralambano, because you're not receiving the person who actually they're teaching about, you're receiving the teaching of that person through someone else. Does that make sense? So what Paul is using here is this second Greek word we see, this derivative that set, that's called paralambano, which is to receive uh, the teaching of Christ. So when he says, as you have, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, I'll just go to the, back to that verse um, right there. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So again, I, I find it interesting that receiving Jesus is so uh, prevalent in our language about uh, you know, be coming into the becoming a Christian or or the Christian birth. That is such a prominent phrase that we use. Yet it is nowhere to be found except right here in Colossians. This is the only place where you will see this, and it's actually talking about receiving the teaching of Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel about Him. Not receiving Jesus Himself directly, the person. <coughs> So we looked at an example in John of using that, that word that is to directly receive back when Jesus was here and could be received personally in the flesh. Now let's look at a few examples of this paralambano to make it even more clear. Paul uses it here in Colossians, and let's use it... Uh, Let's, let's take a look at how he uses it elsewhere in some of the other. Um, actually, these are all in Paul's letters that we're going to look at real quickly. So again, this is, this is to receive the message. So this is the paralambano. So everywhere you see I have the word received underlined, this is that word paralambano, meaning to receive if if it's receive Jesus Christ, it means receive the teaching of Jesus Christ through a person who is given that, given that, giving that teaching. Do you understand the difference? So now, so here's what uh, 1 Corinthians 15.1 says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, this is Paul, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, paralambano, in which you stand. Another verse uh, is, is Galatians 1.9 where Paul writes, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, paralambano, let him be accursed. Another one is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul writes, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received, paralambano, the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And then 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.1, Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you received, paralambano, received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do more, do so more and more. And finally, in 2 Thessalonians uh, 3.6, Paul writes, Now we recommend you, brothers, in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you received, paralambano, from us. So that helps kind of make it clear that this Greek word paralambano, which is what he uses here in Colossians to say, receive Jesus Christ. What he's talking about is, as you have received the teaching of Jesus Christ, as you have received the message that Epaphras has brought to you about the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not receiving Jesus Christ in the flesh. You are receiving the teaching about him. So he, he is saying, as you have received, paralambano, this message of Christ. Now, why this is interesting is if you really do a careful study 
of this word, lambano, the, the original to receive directly, and then paralambano, to receive through someone else, you see a very clear shift from what you might see in the Gospels when it was possible to actually receive Jesus Christ in the flesh, into your home, in, in, into your city, your town, or in you could receive his name also, but uh, often it's referring to Jesus Christ himself in the flesh. And then you see this shift from Lambano referring to receiving Jesus Christ in the flesh himself, the person, to after Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended to be with God at the right hand of God, and then he said, but wait until I send the other who will come to you and endue you or clothe you in power. You are to receive him, the Holy Spirit, and he uses the word Lambano. And everywhere throughout the rest of the New Testament, the rest of uh, the letters, as we've seen many that Paul has written, uh, and also in Acts, in Acts it, it refers to the receiving of not Jesus Christ, the person in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit, the one who he sent. So we are to receive, Lambano, a direct receiving of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just find this interesting because it, you know, things evolve over time and often traditions and the way we do things just get kind of passed on and get passed on without really paying attention and digging into why do we do that? Why do we say these things? Why do we use these words? Why do we practice these things? And if you're like me, who can, I can sometimes be a skeptic and uh, very analytical. I, I tend to look at things like that. And so um, I have learned that in the Christian circles, in, in churches today, there is a plethora of traditions of men. Uh, there just is. There was in the day of Jesus with the Pharisees. They created not only... There were traditions coming from the law of Moses, but they were adding on to these laws all kinds of things that they were, that they were making up. But this, this one I think is interesting because uh, we, have, we have really um, taken this, this phrase that the only place you see there is in Colossians, which is talking about the teaching of Jesus, but we've used that in our evangelism and in our, in our gospel preaching to receive Jesus or accept Jesus into your heart. Now, I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not saying, hey, don't ever say that again. I'm just saying this is interesting to me, and I'm going to explain why I think this is, this is interesting, and well, not interesting, but why we need to be um, careful about that, how, how I think it can actually be um, problematic. But I want to look at a few scriptures first of what I'm talking about. So we always, in the Gospels, you'll see Lambano. You'll often see Lambano talking about receiving Jesus in a person. But after Jesus had ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit, you see this shift in scripture. To Lambano, to receive, is no longer receive Jesus Christ, but to receive the Holy Spirit, which we know to be the Spirit of Christ. And this is the one who Jesus said, wait for him. I will send him. And it's better that I go, because if I do not go, I will not then be able to send the other who can actually not only be here with us, but be everywhere in everyone who receives him all at the same time. A much greater work he is able to do in the sense of being present in such a way. Jesus was limited to his, his physical body when he was here. So Jesus stressed the, the, the receiving of this one who he would send, and he is the Holy Spirit. And so here are some scriptures in the New Testament um, where he talks about this. Jesus says in John 20, 22, 
And when he had said this, he breathed on them. The disciples who were in the room, there were 11 of them in the room. Thomas was not there. He, he breathed on them. This is the ascended Jesus, by the way. He had come, he had risen from the dead and had appeared to them. And he showed himself to them and he shows up and he's doing this act of breathing on them. I believe it's a symbolic gesture of breathing on them and said to them, receive lambano, not paralambano, lambano, receive him. Who's him? The Holy Spirit. Jesus is setting the scene for them. This, the one I said I would send, the promised gift, he will come. Remember, receive the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them for what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. And we remember that that room, there was a, a, uh, the sound of a rushing wind. Jesus breathes on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Lambano. Next scripture we can look at is Acts 2.38. And this is where uh, Peter says to those who have just uh, heard this um, the Holy Spirit being poured out on these believers and they hear their, them speaking all these incredible things in their own languages that these people who are speaking it would not know. And so they, uh, Peter goes forth and preaches to them boldly and they're cut to the heart and they ask him, well, what should we do? And this is what Peter says. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, lambano, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 8.17, it says, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received, lambano, the Holy Spirit. I believe that was the Samaritans that we mentioned earlier. Acts 10.47, can anyone withhold, Peter talking, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? This was Cornelius and his household. They were Gentiles. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received lambano, directly received the person of the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And Acts 19.2, the first part of it says, and he said to them, did this is, remember, Paul talking to the believers in Ephesus that he ran into. And he said to them, did you receive lambano? Did you receive directly the Holy Spirit when you believed? 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul writes, Now we have received lambano, received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Galatians 3.14, Paul writes, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive, lambano, the promised spirit through faith. And finally, that was finally. <laughs> um, so why is this important? You clearly see this. You clearly see what I'm talking about, this shift from talking about receiving Jesus in person when he was here on the earth to Jesus saying, receive now, lambano, the one I am sending, the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? We see this shift clearly in Scripture. It seems that we have taken uh, the New Testament pattern of Christian birth. Now, when I say New Testament pattern of Christian birth, when we look at especially Acts, because you understand if we're wanting to look at the pattern of Christian birth, in other words, unbelievers or the lost being brought into the kingdom of God through new birth, if we want to see that, best um, uh, modeled for us, we've got to go to Acts. The Gospels was too soon, too early. Jesus had not died on the cross yet and had not been re resurrected and had not ascended to be with the Father. Uh, and so 
that's too soon to see what the model should look like for us as we, if we might want to evangelize uh, or teach what it is to be born again or born into the kingdom. The epistles or the, the letters of Paul and other Peter, James, um, John, those letters in the New Testament are too late because he, they're writing to believers. Those believers are already born again. They've already experienced the new birth. So that's not what they're writing to these believers. They're writing lots of other things, um, warnings, encouragement, things like that. Paul refers back to when they received that message from Epaphras, or they received Jesus Christ, that teaching about Jesus Christ. But it's too late. So to see the, the right model of evangelism and how we should be teaching those who don't know Christ about him and what it means to be born again, we need to look at Acts. That is the birth of the church is in Acts. And it spans about 30 years of the, the, the birth of the church from the day of Pentecost when Jesus said, wait here until I have sent the other. The Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on them. They receive. And then from there, it just starts spreading. And looking at that span of years, we start to we see in that some patterns, and it is those patterns that we need to pay attention to and make sure that we are following New Testament patterns as we do evangelism and as we talk about this good news of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. So. Why is, uh, is this important? We see these patterns. So, so here's what the pattern is. There's, there's four cornerstones, if you will, to the, the new birth process. Birthing a person into the kingdom of God. And here's what we see. We see repentance, which we've already talked about. Some repentance was always preached. Paul made that very clear towards the end of Acts. So after 20 to 30 years of him teaching and spreading the good news to the, to the Gentile nations. He, he, he basically summarizes his, his teaching and his mission over all of those years as we read earlier in, in this series, and he said he preached repentance. So repentance, which is to turn from, from the direction someone is going and turn from the sin, sins that they are committing to turn away from those and to turn to God. It is, a, it is a turning, a 180 degrees. If you look at the literal meaning of repentance, it's the change of mind that results in a change of direction. Repentance. So we see repentance. Then we see believing on the Lord Jesus Christ or in the Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance, turning away from sins to God, believing in the one he has sent. You'll see that all throughout Acts and, and many of the letters, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Paul is saying to the Colossians, just as you have received that teaching about Jesus Christ, they believed in him. And you'll see that uh, again and again in Acts when they're talking about they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and then they were baptized. So that leads to the next thing. The third thing would be baptism in water. Baptism in water. It is, it is a, it, to me, there's, there's no reason to argue about what it is, what it isn't. It's just, it's commanded. It's shown again and again and again that that is immediately a, something that they obeyed and did right after someone had uh, repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They baptized them in water. And, um, and by the way, the, the, the believing part, I just want to make that clear. The believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is believing who he is, who God says he is, and the fact that he is the redeemer, the only way to get back to God. So it's not just believing that all oh, he is just, it's believing that this is God's provided answer and, and solution and, and way to salvation. And then so baptism in the Spirit. And then finally, the fourth thing is receiving 
the Holy Spirit. So if you do a careful study through Acts, 30 years of showing what it looked like for the church, the early church, to go out and to begin spreading the good news and bringing people into the kingdom of God, you will see these, the pattern of these four things. <coughs> Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, be baptized in water, and receive the Holy Spirit. So here's the, here's the, the problem. What can be a problem with just evangelizing with you just need to receive Jesus. So what that phrase really is doing is it's taking these four things that God has ordained as needing to be done in Christian birth, and it is condensing them oftentimes, many, uh, sometimes all four of them, into one thing that we have coined receive Jesus. And it's, it's, it, the problem is that we, we could, if we're not careful, we are not properly birthing people into the kingdom of God. Many times, nothing is said about repentance. Nothing. No, no, there's no expectation of seeing the fruit of repentance. No one has even said that they need to turn from their sins and turn to God. They just, they just don't even talk about that. They'll say, just receive Jesus. So often, repentance is skipped. Usually, faith and believing in Jesus Christ is the one thing that's usually in, you know, spoken of. And that is a, an important one. But we'll see examples in Scripture where not all four of them were, were evident, and so if something was missing, that would, have, that would be addressed. So we have the believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we have the water baptism, being baptized in water. And sometimes that's skipped, or at least, you know, just whenever you feel like it, sometime in the future, you might want to consider doing it. It's not the way they spoke at all in the New Testament. You repented. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing they did was baptize them in water. So I, I don't like to get into arguments and debates about what does that exactly mean. It doesn't matter. It says do it. And they did it right away. That's what we should be doing. If you haven't been baptized in water, why not? Why, why are you not obeying what Scripture has clearly shown us? So there's the, the, the baptism in water and then receiving the Holy Spirit. That we saw in Scripture, it's very clear that again and again and again, we are to lambano, receive the Holy Spirit. And what we have done is instead of teaching about that, we have simply condensed all four of these things into one little phrase that says, receive Jesus. Now, do you see how that can possibly become a problem? And we see again and again the apostles, when they came across someone who was missing any four of these components, these foundational things for the new birth, they took action. And they, they remedied that. If they had not been baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they made sure to baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they had not repented, they made sure that they went back to repent. If they had not believed, usually the believing part is it's interesting. Like this scripture we, wrote, we read with Peter saying to, to these Jewish brothers who said, you know, what shall we do? Okay, they were cut to the heart. What shall we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and receive the Holy Spirit. He never mentions faith. He never mentions believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean they don't need to? Of course not. We see that again and again elsewhere. But clearly, 
They had believed and received the message that he had just spoken to them. Otherwise, they would not be saying, brothers, what shall we do? So the, the believing on the Lord Jesus Christ was an implicit uh, understood that they were believing that message already. So he said to repent of their sins, turn to God, and to be baptized in water and to receive the Holy Spirit. So that's right out of the gate of those four things. The believing in Jesus wasn't mentioned, but the other three were. We go on to, to many of the other stories. Uh, Philip, when he went to the Samaritans, we talked about that already. It says that they believed his message. It says that they had joy. It says that they were then baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they had to send for Peter and John because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Now, today, if, if we knew someone had believed the message of Jesus Christ, had joy in their hearts, and have been baptized in water, it would end there. And that would be the end of it. And usually we would say that you have everything that you need. But yet we see Peter and John, Philip and Peter and John having seen these things, but yet knowing they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so they sent for them and they came and they laid hands on them for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Those four things were very distinct. And we see this again and again throughout um, Often it's like when, when, when Peter uh, ran into the believers in Ephesus, they, he started asking them some questions. Did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They, he expected them to be able to answer the question. And they said, we didn't even hear of the Holy Spirit having come. And he then took action to correct it. One of the things that they needed is to be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just ba John's baptism, but baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in water in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he laid hands on them for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So we see that these four things, those are the pattern. This is the pattern for the Christian birth, for the new birth that we see in Acts. Now, there, I don't want anybody to take any of my words. I want, uh, just, just accept my word, I want you to get into the word and dig in for yourself. But if you do that, you will see that these are clearly the things that they, that they taught and that they would expect as being a part of the new birth process. So by condensing this new birth to simply receive Jesus or accept Jesus into your heart and, and, and whittling it down to just a phrase that someone professes, I think we are not properly birthing Christians into the kingdom. I love what John Piper states, he states it well in an article that he wrote titled, How to Receive the Gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, I sometimes fear that we have so redefined conversion in terms of human decisions and have so removed any necessity of the experience of God's Spirit that many people think they are saved when in fact they only have Christian ideas in their head and not spiritual power in their heart. Now, it couldn't be said more clearly. Um, and I, I agree that I think that one of the reasons that the, uh, the modern church has become so uh, non-influential and powerless is that we have, we are, we are, we are not properly birthing people into the kingdom of God. And I will leave that to you to to dig into a little bit more. Um, so let's go on. So. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So as Jesus made uh, clear to us, 
our house must be built on the right foundation, and that is Jesus Christ. And it was taught by Jesus, by Paul, by Epaphras, and all the New Testament writers. And in all that we do, we should be producing an abundance of thankfulness and thanksgiving. And thanksgiving really is a, it's a clear sign of someone who is walking in him and rooted and built up in him. Let's go on to verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I think it's interesting that Paul describes philosophy and uh, empty deceit, and some would say this could, could be translated as empty and deceitful philosophy. Um, either way, it's, it's a deception, and it's an empty, it's void of, of true truth. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that he says that philosophy and empty deceit have the ability to take people captive. And, of course, we see the reality of that with uh, many of the philosophies of today. Uh, all over the world, all kinds of philosophies, and they have taken people captive. And the ones who do, uh, perhaps the philosophies who do make room for God, they almost never recognize the preeminence of Christ. So when people submit themselves, and that's an important word to, to, to take um, notice of, when they submit themselves to these philosophies, they can easily become entrapped in them with now a stronghold over their minds. And so a stronghold that is erected over someone's mind um, is not an easy thing to, to tear down, and it's only the, the, weapon, the divine weapons that God gives us are we able to do that. So to submit oneself to the philosophies of the world is a dangerous, dangerous thing, and we see people uh, becoming ensnared to them, captive to them, as Paul says, uh, quite often. So we should take Paul's warnings about this pretty seriously. Uh, human traditions, also referred to as the traditions of men that I mentioned earlier, are usually found at the uh, foundation of these empty and deceptive philosophies. The traditions of men are usually ripe in there with these philosophies. And traditions of men can plague the church. And we see that uh, not only in Jesus' day, but throughout the history of the church, the traditions of men have crept in, and, and they can be very destructive. And if a church is not careful, they, they will creep in. Even good intention, intentioning people who want to, let's say, um, honor the, the people of Israel or honor the Jewish traditions— and, and practices that can be a, a, good, a good intention, but I have seen it again and again that these people can easily slip into the traditions of men, of which these traditions, especially of the Jewish traditions, Jesus has set us free from those things. To go back into them is very dangerous, which is what Paul is warning again and again, especially in Galatians, where he's warning the Gentile believers. He's saying, look, how could you start your, your Christian walk uh, in faith and then try to finish it by following the law? 
He's like, did you, did you receive the Spirit because you were following the law? No, it was because of faith. And, and now you're trying to go back to the law. They were listening to these Jewish believers starting to bring those traditions into the church, talking about things like circumcision and stuff like that, that, that the Gentile believers needed to follow some of these things. And Paul just very sternly warns them the dangers of bringing these things in. And as probably uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more about, <clears throat> you know, um, recognizing holidays and different calendar um, uh, things and, and stuff that was a big part of the Jewish religion and other uh, religions as well. Those traditions, those, um, those things that they followed, uh, that they were that they can easily creep in and become uh, a tradition of men that comes into the church and plagues the church. So we have to be careful about those. These deceptive philosophies and traditions of men are usually inspired and promoted by um, what Paul uses the term here, elemental spirits. This is an interesting word. The Greek word can actually be translated and is translated usually in other places where he uses it as elemental or elementary principles, uh, which would be like these beginning teachings of something, of things that are to follow. So you might say um, the ABCs are the elementary principles of learning the English language. Um, So it it can be translated as elementary principles, but it's also often translated, as it is here, as elemental spirits. And it's to, to refer to the, uh, the evil spirits that rule over this world and the things that they uh, inspire men to do and the things that they promote. So I think Paul has... Uh, is, is referring to that here when he talks about um, empty uh, philosophies captive, that take you captive and empty deceit that are according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world who are promoting these things, not according to Christ. Because Christ set us free from those things, especially the things of Jewish traditions and practices So let's go on to verse 9 and 10. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now notice again we have the in him that we see in many of Paul's letters and many of the other Christian writers refer to in him, as in in Christ, which is, that is where the blessings and the inheritance is, that's, that's, that can come to us, they, they are in him. So to have access to those, we must be in him. So you see that throughout, especially a lot in, in Colossians, he, he has that phrase. For in him, the whole the whole fullness of deity dwells. Um, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells. And if you look at John, I think I have it here. Maybe I don't. I don't have that slide. But John, just jot this down. John 3.34 talks about the Spirit of God being given to Jesus Christ without measure, without limit. And this is what he's referring to here is, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells in him. That's John 3.34 if you wanted to jot it down. And you have been filled in him. When Paul speaks of them having been filled He is speaking of them having been filled with the Holy Spirit when they received him. 
So having been filled in him, it is through Jesus Christ that we have now access to the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and to be able to be in Christ and then filled with the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit. Who is the head of all rule and authority. And here's another clear uh, declaration by Paul of the preeminence of Christ. Jesus Christ, supreme above all rule and authority. He is head over all rule and authority. So he declares that again in that short phrase. Verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And here Paul makes a a clear reference to water baptism as the circumcision of Christ and how the power of God who raised Christ from the dead can also raise us up to new life in him. And in verses 13 through 15, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. Now, this circumcision is unlike the Jewish circumcision of the, uh, of the flesh. This, this, this is a cut away, cutting away of the, the sinful nature, not just of skin, but of the sinful nature in us. So it's a circumcision of our, sinful, of our sins and our sinful nature, which um, our sinful nature loves to sin. And it's making us alive with Christ. So in doing so, it says that God has forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our offenses against him, all of our sins are an offense against God, also known as trespasses, by canceling. So he has forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now this is very this we need to understand this because this is how Satan and his demons have a right to oppress people. And Paul makes it clear in in this short passage right here that they have legal right to people, to them, because of their debt record of sins. So that record will remain legally binding until it has been canceled and the debt forgiven. And this is actually what happens when we repent and believe in what Jesus did on the cross for us. That that record of sins will then be nailed to his cross And God the Father will forgive the debt we owe with this legal demands. So, Satan, who Scripture describes as the ruler of this world, knows his legal rights, as does his his demons, his fallen angels, all of those as part of his kingdom that has structure. There's a hierarchy there. They know the the law of the universe that God has set in place. And they know 
the legal rights that they have because of this record of sins that each one of us has or has had, has or has had. And that is a legal right. Satan has a legal right to people because of this record until it has been wiped clean and it has been forgiven. And that debt then gets nailed to the cross and those rights can then be stripped away from Satan. And I think this is, this is what it's talking about when the Scripture says at the bottom there, the last sentence there, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is not talking about disarming kings and princes and earthly rulers and authorities. It's talking about in the spiritual realm, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, here's the thing. Think about this. Jesus didn't need to disarm them for the sake of him. He didn't have that problem. He had already uh, proven himself in resisting Satan. He had already proven himself in walking in righteousness. He had already proven himself as being God, having been with God from the beginning. Everything created was created through him. The demons knew it. Satan knew it. The problem wasn't with him. The problem was with us. The disarming was for us. Satan and his kingdom and his thugs have the weapons ready and they're putting a bead on you. You're in the crosshairs and with your record of sins that you, you have incurred this debt, you are now legal rights. You are legally uh, accessible to Satan and his, and his kingdom. But Jesus has made it possible for them to be disarmed and no longer have access to you and to us. And that is an, that is a, an incredible truth. But it's also a a truth that we need to really pay attention to and be fearful of this truth. I mean, you know, in the Corinthian church, when we, we were talking about it last week, we focused on some things that was going wrong. But one of the other things that was going wrong was sexual immorality and, and some forbidden things of, of, of a sexual nature between, uh, it was incest that was going on and Paul made it very clear, this person who thinks and says he's a Christian, yet he's continuing in this sin, kick him out of the church. I'm not with you, but you do it with me and the authority. Kick him out of the church and turn him over to Satan. The legal right was given to Satan because of this man's continued sin that was a forbidden sin of sexual immorality and Paul and Paul knew this was this was legally binding turn him over to Satan and perhaps he would then be saved because he would realize his protection is gone and he would be in the hands of Satan and that's not how he wanted to live and he would turn repent turn from those sins and turn to God and that's exactly what happened Thankfully, the man did turn, and then Paul said, receive him back, encourage him, don't let him be in despair, encourage him, receive him back, love him, because he had turned for those things. But that's an example of what, what this, he's talking about, these legal rights that the enemy has to us because of our sins and the debt of our sins. They, the wages of sins are death, it's death. Satan, who is the ruler of this world, has access to people to bring death into their life because of these legally binding uh, 
things that God has put in place. And so this is, Jesus is, is, is actually, he has disarmed for anyone who goes to him, anyone who repents and believes in him as the, the Savior, the Redeemer. And they have access to receive from him, receive the Holy Spirit, and to receive cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ of these sins and for this debt record to be wiped clean. And when it is wiped clean, it is wiped clean. It is nailed to the cross, no longer remembered by God. He chooses not to remember them anymore. But it's a mistake for us to say those have been wiped clean and then to then go into sin and continue in it. John writes very clearly in his epistles, in his letters, someone who says, I'm a child of God, but continues in the sin that besets them, continues in it, is a liar. He is deceiving himself. He's a liar. So there's a reality not only to us having this debt of sin wiped clean and forgiven, but for us to then walk with the power that God has made available to us by the Holy Spirit living in us, giving us power to walk and to be being made righteous. It's not, it's not just a, it's done, it's a process of walking on his path in step with the Spirit and allowing him to help us to come out of that life and to be transformed into a completely new creation and to walk in righteousness. Those legal demands then are no longer accessible to Satan and his thugs. So, that is good news. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. And by being in him, they no longer have access to us. And we can keep our record of debt nailed to the cross. We don't need to be creating any more debts. When we do, as John says, we confess our sins. We confess them to the Lord. And he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a danger in carrying around a debt that gives legal rights to the enemy. Well, we got through it all that I had for today anyway. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, just the, the, the incredible truths that are in uh, these passages that we have read and looking into this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in, in Colossae. We, we just thank you that we now can have access to these truths and we can learn from them. And God, I ask that you would um, only allow your truth to remain in the hearts and minds of everyone here that you would um, allow them to see for themselves in Scripture where these truths are indeed your truths. And anything that's not, God, that it would just fall to the wayside. Father, would you encourage us by these things, especially what Jesus Christ, who is head over all rule and authority, especially what he has done for our sakes to disarm the rulers and authorities who want to have rights over us to oppress us, to harass us, and to bring death. The enemy is looking to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. But Lord Jesus and Father, thank you for what you have done to triumphantly uh, disarm them from being able to do that. We thank you that we can be in 
Christ. Safe and secure in Him. And God, if we ever step out, if we ever find ourselves off His path, please show us, convict us, do whatever is necessary to bring us back. And we thank you that you are a God, a Father who loves His children enough to discipline when discipline is needed. What Father... What loving father would not discipline his children? God, thank you that you do that when we need it. And we love you. We thank you for your gift. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of the promised Holy Spirit who you have allowed us to receive. And may we receive him and the power that he brings to live righteously. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. i